0: Hey, what's going on? It's Howie Spangler, and this is episode 100! I turn into Oprah once we hit that triple digits, baby. You get an episode, and you get an episode! It's episode 100 of Tales from the Green Room. I'm Howie Spangler. I'm your host. I'm your grateful host. Thank you for listening. These last two years, I can't believe we're here. Started as like a little thing that I was like just hoping might people might dig and um, I don't know it's become this thing man and I am grateful so thank you very much I have a wonderful guest today I wanted to do something special as it was approaching I got into the 90s and I was like all right I got to do something cool for episode 100 and I'd like to have somebody that. You know i respect and you know not that i don't respect all these previous guests but it's just you know one of my favorite bands nick hexam 311 um very stoked to have him he we had a really fun conversation we got into a lot of stories from from the old days when they were coming up and uh there was some laughing and uh it was just a good fun conversation and you know and one thing I really want you to take away from this conversation is that uh, Nick had a very, um, even in the worst times, Nick had the best attitude and the drive to keep going and the uh, just resilience, all-around resilience. So really listen to that and, and put it towards your own career. I think it's something for artists to hear, like this show is about. It's about like kind of learning from maybe... Weird mistakes or weird things that artists went through coming up that maybe maybe some pitfalls you can avoid, but it's also uh, fun for me as a fan to hear these things. And um, yeah, we had a great time. So uh, thank you to Peter Raspler for putting it putting it together, setting it up. Um, always great working with the 311 Camp. So uh, look forward to more stuff with them in the future. And um, make sure you go uh, grab tickets for their 311 Day. And they're also doing some Mardi Gras stuff as well. Um, go to 311.com and check out all the information and just go see that band. Those guys kill it still after all these years. A um, lot of energy and uh, just really fun to watch and just super great musicians as well. Don't forget that. Um, before we get into this, uh, let's talk about what's going on lately with myself. Uh, I have I am... Uh, so at the time of the recording of this... Um, I'm about to go on this acoustic run, and I hope it was fun. I hope it was great. I hope I had a great time. I hope a lot of people came out. I hope I sold a lot of t shirts. <laughs> uh, I hope I don't have any CDs left. And everybody's like, oh my God, you're so good. I got to have a CD. So I hope it was great. Uh, it's with um, Jason DeVore of Authority Zero, Chris uh, Domagus from Less Than Jake, Gabriel from Fayuca, um, and. The meager kings guys chris and russ um we uh going to arizona and california at least those are those are the dates that i'm doing with them the tour has already started as of right now i'm just not there because i just got home from the virgin islands last night so um yeah a lot's been happening um so yeah um if you're listening to this thanks for coming out if you came out Uh, if you didn't that's cool There'll, there'll be some more time um what is what else is going on here? Uh, it's hard to speak in past tense when I I don't know what the future holds. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if I have T-shirts left or CDs to promote to sell to you. <laughs> uh, this is like the first time I've had I've, I've done it this way. So, um, anyway, um, check out Ballyhoo. We're gonna be at One Love Festival February seventh uh, with a ton of bands. This is our third year in a row. That's gonna be just great. The, the shows both years in the past have been awesome so looking forward to another rad year there um I think uh, it's almost sold out um I think I saw that somewhere and then uh going out with Iration and Ayaterra and the Reese Brothers after that so um actually the first show is February 6th we're gonna be in a in Bakersfield so um, get to that the last Bakersfield show was insane we sold it out with our friends Pacifier and had a great time um, so please uh, get some tickets go to bellyerocks.com come say, say what's up come, come uh, sing along with us um, I'm bringing my Hawaiian shirt and what else I mean yeah I mean we're good. after the Iration tour we'll be doing some stuff in March um, I don't have my phone in front of me for some reason I probably should. Um, go to com. Get all the dates, all the info. Um, also, uh, my single, Self Care, is out now. If you're listening to this, uh, it's out now. And um, you should go check that out. It's a Mac Miller song. I fell in love with Mac Miller uh, just recently. Uh, I'm very sad that I missed him and his music. But... Luckily, uh, I have a Spotify account and I can go back and listen to all his records forever. Um, dude was a huge talent and uh, the song Self Care on his last record, Swimming, uh, really connected with me. I really felt, um, I don't know, I felt like that, that frustration that it seems like he's feeling in that song about, you know, uh, just having to be plugged in all the time as a personality as a you know as a famous person whatever he's way more famous than i than i am but uh just the the idea of having to work and put on the face all the time it can be very frustrating and grueling and he just wanted to unplug and get away for a while and that's that's how i took the song so i thought i could put a cool spin on it it's a it's a reggae It's it's like a reggae version the way i would do it I think it turned out pretty cool So let me know Let me know if you guys like it uh, Let me know if, Let me know if you don't like it Whatever um, I don't care I ain't scared I'll read the reviews I'll read the comments It's like I don't read reviews But I'll read the comments And I'll reply back uh, Yeah check out the, the YouTube channel as well Howie Spangler um, Always doing videos there Making acoustic songs And things like that So uh, sub up Hit the bell So you don't want to go live Okay, enough talking. Let's get to the show. This is episode 100 of Tales from the Green Room with a very special guest, Nick Hexum of 311. Let's go. Yeah. Nick, what's going on, man? How you doing?
1: Real good. Thanks for having me.
0: Dude, thanks for coming on, man. I was uh this is um <clears throat> this is going to be episode 100 and I was thinking for a while it'd be cool to get somebody that, you know, so I wanted to be special, you know, I thought it'd be cool to get somebody that like I respected as an artist and uh, like a band that I love. And you were one of the first people I thought of. And so I reached out to Peter and he said you were down. So I I was like, hell yeah, you know, this is going to be great. So I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me at the, the milestone as you hit triple digits. Yes. Yes. It took me two
0: years, but here we are. So, uh, Damn, dude. So this June is uh, 30 years of 311. That's got to be a wild thing to look back on, you know, and just think about everything you've gone through. And here we are 30 years later, and you guys are still rocking it and killing it. I mean, it's got to be a great feeling, right?
1: It is. Um, You know, I, I don't, people ask me, like, did you ever think you'd go this far? I mean, I certainly felt that probably a, um, inordinate amount of confidence in our band, but I didn't think about how long it would go. I was like, okay, we got something special. We're gonna we're gonna do it. We just gotta we just gotta get out there. Come on guys, let's let's move out to LA. Let's you know, go all in on, on the plan. But I didn't I don't know if I thought about how long it would go. Um so and now it's it's kinda to the point of you don't really walk away from something that's so special. Like it's not something where you're a normal job. You're like, I have three more years till retirement and then I can go do something else. This is, this is something that's such a pleasure to get to bring people together through music, to, to relate, to share, um, experience to, you know, to make that connection that it's kind of like a, a, a real calling that you you don't walk away from. So I think now as I'm turning fifty in April, um, it's more a question of like how long can our bodies do it? And everything's going great as far as physically and health wise. Knock on wood. You know, a couple of people have had like a, a torn meniscus here or you know bum ankle there or whatever. So little things. But as far as our health, everything is going um, really good, and I would see us uh, continuing for quite a while. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how grateful we are, and it's kind of fun to – someone will say some little inside joke about <sighs> Sailor's Wife. If, if I say the word Sailor's Wife, it reminds us of this fan this that we had that for some reason – she just reminded us of like a sailor's wife and the way that she dressed and, and acted. And that became her, her name. And we just have like so many inside jokes that you just say one little phrase and then you just start reminiscing and, and go with it. And then we got like, what a trip that we've been able to do this for so long. And, uh, we're very blessed.
0: Yeah, man. That's uh that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, the inside joke thing is—I think I, I know every band has it. Like we've got ours. Like it's always—I mean, it's just packed with like Anchorman jokes and Family Guy jokes, and everything applies to a certain situations. <laughs> Simpsons
1: you <know>? references. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like the best, man. And um, definitely, uh, it, it helps. It helps keep the uh, the the back and forth, the the relationship with the band helps to keep it healthy and. Um, Because, you you know, not only are you trying to be better physically, but the the mental stress of being, you know, with the same people all the time, you know, and on the road and in this little tube for months at a time, you know, it can start to grate on you. And we've kind of got this thing now, like, well, for, for years now, but like, where I mean, iPhones and iPads and, you know, whatever else, video games, like, we can all kind of go into that and... In our own little worlds, when we're feeling like, "All right, I'm tired of these people," <laughs> you know, like, yeah, got to get away. So, no different for you guys, I imagine.
1: Well, you need to recharge, and um, for me, like, I I like to just have little self care things that I do to to go off into my own world, and whether it's like ripping scales on the guitar. Or Going to the gym and just kind of checking these things off to know that I'm taking care of myself. Um, and then, and then come back to the the circle, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. go off and take care of me. Um, and that probably includes some, you know, naps and Netflix time as well. You know, it's, you gotta, you gotta take care of yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like to, I work constantly like I'm always I'm in my studio every day from, you know, get the kids on the bus and I'm I'm working till usually midnight, you know, a lot of days. And sometimes it just especially when we're working on a record or something it's like I start getting mentally like just stressed out and frustrated, you know, when that that song's not coming together or whatever. Um and I like to take a step away and like play like a a video like a PlayStation game or something, you know, for like an hour or two cuz it really like it's kind of like therapy in its own way. It's sort of like you wrap your brain around something else, but there's like no pressure. And I don't know, it's just kind of nice to go away <laughs> for a bit, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I, I, sometimes I'll go in through like these serious online poker phases where i <laughs> just like, cause it, it, you just get that, you know, dopamine hit from it where it's fun. I mean, and I used to be into first person shooter games where, but then I was like, this is overstimulating my brain because I wouldn't just do it an hour. It would just keep going. And I was like, I have to stop this or I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. So, <laughs> but there's certain little things will pop up. Um, I enjoy playing poker, but I enjoy playing it with people more than, um, online because, you know, they need to laugh and have more of a bonding thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you're talking about. Uh, I I know you're a, uh f- you're into fitness for sure. I mean everybody saw the was it People Magazine or something like that. It was, <laughs> I saw the pics. Well, I mean you're obviously like I mean didn't you like run up the Empire State Building and you do all this crazy shit like that's
1: awesome. By the way. Yeah. Thank you. I basically <laughs> my some of my highlights are I've ran the L.A. Marathon twice. Um. I did the Empire State Building race in which I won for the fastest male in the, um, in the charity heat. There's like professional stair climbers that would just totally kick my ass. And in fact, there was a faster female than me, but I won in the male um, charity division. So that was really cool. I don't think I have many trophies, so that was fun. That's um, a good one. And then usually uh, I, my other kind of physical obsessions have been um, I started my own basketball team um, in like the Calabasas Men's League out here and um, just, you know, playing, playing for fun on on Wednesday nights. And then I got really into surfing a couple of years ago. Like I tried it a few times before, but I never really caught the bug. Um, and I haven't been in. Um, in a few weeks but there was a while where i was like every opportunity i was going out there just because it it's it's thrilling because you know you can get covered and go under but it's it's also just it's a spiritual thing of being out on the water and um and great exercise just because you're you know you really got to work to to paddle out and, and fight the waves and you know it's it's I've really enjoyed that. But mostly what I end up doing is these, um, it's called F45. But it's like 45-minute workout classes. It's kind of like CrossFit. Um, and, like, it's different every day. So you don't have to really think about what you're doing because you just show up and they've got a different workout for you every every time. And the music's good. And, um, there's it's a lot of camaraderie there. there everyone's like high fiving each other, encouraging each other. Um, so that's kind of my current thing. And that's kind of got, got me to be in the place where I was, where, you know, my public publicist was like, you know, let's do a good photo shoot of you working out and stuff. And it was basically, I got into that shape through doing like they call it high, high intensity interval training,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where it's everything from like weights to burpees to chin-ups to squats and everything else, but it's different every time. So it really keeps your muscles guessing. Um, and so that's something I do every day if I can.
0: That's, that's great. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to stay committed because I, I, started like going to the gym, I guess a couple of years ago, about yeah, probably I think 2017 and, uh, just because I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be 40 this year, <laughs> like, and I'm, uh, I need to just get better. I need to get better at it, you know. I got two kids, and I'm trying to be here for a while, and um, and the uh, getting like, once I'm there and I'm doing it, like, I'm like, all right, cool. And I got to do a first thing in the morning, so if I don't, I'm like, I'm not going. You know, I just end up getting into something else, working or whatever. And uh, it's it's tough for me to stay. Like, I'm like, all right, this is great, and I feel great when I'm done but then it's like the next day or so, you know, I'll get two days in a row and then I'll just stop going for a month. You know, and I, I hate that. I wish I had the way I feel about getting down to my studio every day. I wish I had that same drive to, to hit the gym, you know? And, um, I'm always like envious of the dudes that can, that do like our bass player, Nick, he, uh, he works out probably four or five times a week pretty intensely. And you know, he looks great. And he's obviously uh, he's a healthy dude. And, it's inspiring but at the same time i'm like ah oh, like i'll start getting into it and just i feel like when you're when you start to like when it starts to really feel the burn and you're like you're starting to strain a little bit i feel like that's when you need to go a little bit harder like push yourself um otherwise maybe you won't break through that kind of cycle or whatever like so and i i just get i get frustrated and i quit like i'm just done doing pushups or whatever it is you know and i wish i had that i don't know if it's a competitive spirit or what that i'm lacking but, uh, you know, I'm definitely trying to get more into it. It's just, it's like trying to, Yeah, like- that's
1: what I like about the, the 45 minute ones, because for some reason, I, I just, it's that length is perfect. Um, and cause the, on the weekends, the, the classes are an hour and it's just, it's intimidating <laughs> that extra 15 minutes makes a, a big difference. And when I'm on the road, I don't, I don't need to work out that long. It's more like 20 minutes. Um, because the show itself is such a good workout. And if I work out too much the day of the show, then like I can start to feel run down. And there was a time where I was really going for it with trying to get big gains. And I would kind of start to feel like overtraining, feeling like I was like fluish. Like I just was not letting my body recharge enough, like getting into like a workout addiction kind of deal. Mm -hmm. So now I've kind of learned to find that that happy happy medium of uh, frequent short workouts.
0: That's great. Do you feel like you're at a a, a place? Um, you got the gains that you wanted. And now you're just sort of doing like maintenance, just kind of keeping it going, or, or did you want to?
1: You trying to go harder or what? Well, I mean, I always. Let myself kind of slack in the winter time because it's Christmas cookies and <laughs> you know, tell me about it. First. You know, um, it's it's colder even here in L.A. and I'm outside less, and so I, I kind of, <laughs> so I kind of made a commitment on January first to get back into going to do my class every day.
0: That's great, man. Yeah, I, I see you. Uh, when I catch the shows, it, it's nice to be able to catch the shows every now and then. You know, obviously jumping around up there and it's it's an awesome thing to see for sure um so uh you guys have got what 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 are winters like for you and like is is it is it kind of like off season for 311 like you know you guys you guys go hard in the summer and then you've got like i know you've got some shows coming up like you're doing the mardi gras thing and obviously 311 day which we'll get to but um you guys seem to kind of just have one big tour and maybe some things around it throughout the year is winter kind of like a, all right, everybody gets, everybody just go do whatever you want. And then we'll, we'll get back together in February, March, something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you need those cycles where you're, where you have breaks and then to really kind of reestablish the roots of, of home and, and, and recharge. Um, and I kind of checked it out on the calendar once and we really only are gone somewhere between like a quarter and a third of the year. So just people have said like, Oh, it must be so hard. You're from, you're away from your kids so much. And I'm like, well, about a quarter of the year I'm gone. But then those three quarters that I'm home, I'm like, I have, I'm super hands-on dad of, you know, practicing piano with with the kids and getting ready for school and going to the beach. And, you know, so it is a different kind of schedule that, um, that most people have, but I
0: wouldn't change it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the kids thing, man, that, that's when things got really tough. Like we were, we're, you know, we've always been, we've been on tour for, 14 years of this year. I mean, we've been a band for 25 years this year, actually started in 95. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, but we didn't actually start touring until Oh six. And, um, so this was four years before my son was born. And, uh, you know, that was just the way it was. And, and once the kids came along, then it started getting really weird and hard. And like they, they, and now it's like, they asked me when are you coming back or how come you have to leave? And think it's just like, awful (laughs) it's like the worst feeling in the world you know um i don't know how bands did it before facetime and things like that
1: yeah um yeah it's true but we we have extra things to offer to to be able to you know share those experiences that maybe a you know nine-to-fiver doesn't have so true i always try and Give it a positive spin.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like my kids, I mean, and your kids as well, they've grown up with this. It's kind of like the life that they know. Um, And I get the same thing, like, oh, it must be tough. You know, you're gone so much. I'm like, well, yeah, it is, you know, but they're also kind of used to it. You know, it's not that it doesn't suck for them sometimes, but um, you know, you just try to be there as much as you can when you're not there, you know, on the phone or FaceTime, whatever it is. and try to ask my, my son like how I did on the math test and stuff like that, you know, and, and all he wants to do is talk about Fortnite and yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all he does. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I, I look at it like, you know, this is what I'm doing is uh, supporting. I'm, I'm actually supporting my family with this dream that I had as a kid. You know, I saw, yeah. I saw Rat and Poison in 1987 and I decided <laughs> that that's what
1: I want to do. I well, was six years old. Oh my god! I think I, I didn't actually go to the tour, but I went to the in store of the Rat and Poison. Um, oh man! Tour the day of the show. I didn't actually see the show, but I went down and stood in line and got a flat, um, like a, a, an album cover flat sign, <laughs> In <laughs> Omaha, Were you a fan? I, of- it was in Council Bluffs. They, they, it was it was across the across the border in, in Iowa, which. It's probably even better for, for metalers, but <laughs> I totally forgot about that until you mentioned nineteen eighty seven Random Poison. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. So you were you were like a fan back in the day? I mean, I was more of a punker than a meddler. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw so many great shows back at like the Civic Auditorium in Omaha, like NXS and Minute Work and The Clash and Um I there's a bunch more that I can't even think of right now, but my mom was very supportive to go and go and see bands. So that was, I was definitely just, just like you saying that'll be me one day. Yeah. Um, there was a, I
0: remember when I look back and I think about like, I've, I've like the last couple of years I've kind of gotten really into this, uh, positive state of mind like um where it, th- there was that there was that book i've never read this book but i've heard about this book um the the secret right which is um yeah, yeah about like basically like manifest your destiny kind of thing and it's, yeah. it seems like bullshit at the you know when you're just on the outside and someone's explaining it to you but uh it started to make sense to me like again like i said never read this book but it it, it is true that i feel i feel it's true that like if you if you do put your mind on something and set a goal and set a, a goal that's like reasonable and achievable, you know, like, and then sort of put yourself, put yourself on the path, like take the steps to get there. Um, And then don't let anything sort of get in the way. Like, you know, when when you have a bad show or somebody doesn't like the song you put out or something like that, 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 that doesn't mean it like quit, you know, or get upset. You got to just keep moving forward <clears throat> And, um, and then the the people around you that, that I remember back in the day, like, I'm going to be in a band, it's going to be great. And then once high school started kind of ending and I was going to graduate, you know, people started saying things like, "Where are you going to go to college. Like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, uh, I want to do this band thing that I started, you know, I was, I was 14 when I started this band and, uh, it's people try to push this narrative like no you that's not going to work you can't do that and, and i remember like looking at mtv like i used to watch mtv every day i'm like well they're doing it like why can't i do it you know like what it, it, and i guess people don't understand the idea of like if you work hard on something for a long time you know and i was able to start it early uh thankfully i knew what i wanted to do that it's, it's totally possible um so i'm i'm glad that i stuck with with, I, I kind of stuck to my guns and did, I didn't let people kind of like waver my, you know, m- the direction I was trying to go, like trying to stifle it, you know? When, when did you realize that like, all right, I want to be a, like rock star or, you know, back in the day it was like, I want to be a rock star. I want to get signed. That, that's how we thought back in back in those days. When did you realize that? Like teenager?
1: For me, it went really early, like six, seven years old. Yes. My folks say. And, and at that time it was like, 50s music was what I loved. I mean, this is like 1976, but for me, the punk rock energy of um, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis and Chuck Berry, like I loved early rock and roll and that my dad had this huge, my dad was a big 50s rocker guy and he would, we, he told me so much about the culture um, I knew I could identify the difference between a 55 and a 57 Chevy. And like, I was just always pumping him for questions. So I think I inherited a lot of his tastes, like, you know, Green Bay Packers and Jeff Berry. And you know what I mean? Like, I, that's just, you know, he's like my idol, I guess. And um, so at that age, I was like, basically saw saw myself as a future kind of early rock and roller. Yeah. And then when, uh, then when I heard the clash, everything changed, um, when I was like 12 years old and then that was of course, even that was real punk rock with more energy and the rebellion. And it was the same time as I was like hitting puberty and like, you know, just had so much energy and, um, some misplaced anger probably and just, you know, just intense feelings that could only come out through the express, through that kind of rebellious, energetic music. Um, and then I think things changed again when I heard the Chili Peppers, the um, Uplift MoCo Party Plan um, album was very pivotal for me. It was just so cool to me um and that was like 87 um and it just sort of like to me because com- i loved great musicians like prince and stuff like that but then i also love that rebellious energy and like slam dancing and you know crowd surfing and that sort of to have kind of the hybrid of like real musicianship with punk rock energy, like that to me was kind of where it was at. And and then I also, but I also loved like kind of um very much what people might consider softer music, like old jazz and standards and billy Holiday, um, Sinatra, and stuff like that. So I also loved crooning and I was also, you know, playing like in the, cool jazz band and stuff like that. So I I'm just kind of, those are some of the influences and I wanted to make some music that kind of checked all the boxes that, that had like heaviness as well as um, thoughtfulness and some kind of mystery um, and, you know, chops and energy and rebellion. And so I think that was kind of like an overview of how, my development started. And then, of course, the influence of, you know, me and Tim being in a cover band um, in high school. And we were playing the alternative of the day, which was like uh, The Cure and The Smith and a lot of kind of English music. but And also like what they call college rock, which was like R.E.M. and stuff like that. Um, but then once we kind of, once then the two of us, Linked up with Chad, and then got into like, you know, Prince and Run DMC and Chili Peppers and James Addiction and that kind of next wave of alternative. Um, and that's kind of where the 311 sound was born. And then we, so we kind of had kind a of, um, right after high school, um, the band called Unity, which was the three of us, and that's kind of where the 311 sound was born, and then it kind of solidified when I was playing bass at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, because for me, like bass was a super important instrument and there was, you know, these new kind of LA bands like, um, Mary's Danish was one where the the bass was a really strong out front instrument, of course, flea. Um, and then, but then uh, I was like, I kind of want to focus more on being the, the lead singer, because I don't know how Sting does it to play, or Paul McCartney to play with super intricate bass lines and also sing lead at the same time. Like that was never my bag. So, same. And Chad was like, "Well, I know this kid, Peanut. Uh, I don't, I don't know if he called him Peanut back then, but uh, I know this kid who can, who can really rip on the bass. He's he, he doesn't have a driver's license yet. He's only 15. <laughs> um, and then I went over. To his house and showed him some of my bass lines and he learned him quickly and, uh, and that's when 311 was born
0: that's so cool man that's uh that's great um you went out to LA was this in in 90 like
1: a like like not long after the band well I I graduated early from high school when I was 17 and then went out to LA by myself and um so this was kind of like in between the high school band and before Unity was was started. And then I kind of floundered around and like tried to get bands going, but it was a lot of like Sunset Boulevard, kind of um, Guns N' Roses type people, which I was cool with that, but it, it didn't check all the boxes for me. And they were they were older, and I just realized like, man, those guys from Omaha, that's really that's, – that, they're the best people I could get a band going with. So I, I went back and we made this first unity tape in my dad's basement. Um, and then I was like, all right, we need to go out to LA. Um, but Tim wasn't really ready to do that at that time. He's like, I'm going to go to college in Arizona. And Chad was like, my mom and I have decided I'm going to go to college in at, at Lincoln in Nebraska. So I was out back out in LA by myself. And then I'm, convinced Chad to come out. So 80, like when I was 19, then we kind of, we had a different unity, which we had some local people in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of fell apart. Um, making ends meet financially and stuff. Um, it kind of fell apart and then Chad moved back. Um, and then, and then I moved to, Omaha too. It's like, all right, it's time to start over, and that's when Peanut came into the picture. And so our first gig was June tenth, nineteen ninety. So it'll be, it'll be thirty years this uh, coming June.
0: Incredible, man. Um, so all of you guys then went out to L.A. to pursue a record deal, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah.
1: So like ninety and ninety one, we we were playing around Omaha and getting a really big following going and making. Cool. independent albums um you know like we we were the first omaha band to actually make a cd which was like a huge deal like wow these guys have made it they've made a cd um because before that it was just cassettes um and then we started selling a lot of like packing we played these uh at the ranch Bowl, these new music mondays they were all ages shows where we were playing really regularly on Monday nights and they were, we were selling them out and the places were just erupting into a sweaty, crazy mosh pit, like a practically a near riot where like windows were breaking from people flying. You know, it was, it was total mayhem. And then we started selling a lot of CDs and we had copies of like the local sales charts from like Homer's record store downtown that shows number one selling album is Eleven Unity and the number two selling album is U2 U2's Octung Baby, and number three is Michael Jackson's whatever. And like so we were able to get a copy of those um you know sales charts and send them to um to record labels. And there was one in, in Nashville, Capricorn Records, that was like pretty impressed. And uh we didn't have any kind of like bidding war or anything. We basically just had this one offer. I was like, okay, they're part of Warner Brothers. I don't know much about, you know, this label per se, but hey, it's Warner Brothers. Um, let's do it. And so we we kind of had the first interest from a record label when we all decided to move out to L.A. and really go for it in, in 1992, like in the winter 92, we all moved out to, to a house, a little house in Van Nuys, um, but it had a pool and we attempted um, to grow our own cannabis because that was always a big part of what <laughs> we did was get high and rehearse and write songs and geek out. Um, and uh, we just kind of barely made ends meet and were able to just get enough money from the record company to live. And then we were working with Eddie Offered. On our first record, who was, um, you know, he would worked with John Lennon and done all these albums, these progressive prog rock albums like Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer and this kind of stuff. And so he, he, he got us. He appreciated where we're coming from uh, and like the kind of chops that we had. So he was uh, he really helped us a lot in our, making our first album music. Towards the end of '92, and then putting that out in '93 was like a very exciting time. We were we were super excited, and then our very first single, "Do You Right," it got embraced in like three cities: Atlanta, L.A., and uh, I don't remember one other city. And so we we had these like a my, micro hit in a couple little markets, but it was enough to. You know, put a tour together and we had our RV fire, which was like nuts where we were driving from one show to the next and the RV caught on fire because the, because it was backfiring and the backfiring is, you know, exploding gas in the, um, in the exhaust system and that, Happened. We finally we just got used to it. Like, we don't know how to make this fucking RV stop backfiring. So it was just <laughs> driving down the road backfiring. And then it eventually caught the floorboards on fire. And then by, I was driving. By the time we pulled over, the whole thing was on fire. We just filled up with 100 gallons of gas. So oh, once gosh. it got to the gas lines, this it was an inferno that was so hot, it completely disintegrated. I wasn't Interstate 80, but one of those... whatever interstate goes through Kansas city Mm. completely disintegrated the asphalt. It turned, it turned the, the, the highway to, to dust because it was so a hundred gallons of gas, just this roaring fire, all of our equipment, all of our um, possessions, cash. Like it was, we, we were back to like, we had nothing. We had, we were, we each were wearing our shoes and shorts and no shirt and we just escaped with nothing but our lives so it was like a total like start over moment and i just remember saying to the guys look all we really need is each other and these songs in our in our heads and we're going to be okay but it was terrifying as you can imagine i mean i had to jump through flames because i was the last guy out since i was driving and the flames were coming. There was only one door. It was halfway down the side of the RV, and the flames were leaping up for the whole length of the door. And I had to jump through fire, and I got burned on both sides of my body. Um, and I I ran up the embankment to get away from the, the heat. And then I put my hand through my hair, and it was just complete ash. Like my hair all just broke from. It was just it had been totally singed. Oh, my God. Um, and then you, we just stood there with our stuff all going up to the flames. We didn't know what to do. And so it's like, all right, let's ask somebody for a ride to the airport, and then we'll rent a car and drive to Omaha. And uh, it was crazy. Wow,
0: man, that's so heavy. I, I, I was going to ask you about this because I've always heard this story in the lore, you know, every time I see an interview or something from back in the day, or like that first enlarge the show detail all that stuff like that's intense like i haven't heard it that detailed before (laughs) it's like yeah wow man Uh, i can't even imagine like our our van caught fire i was driving early in the day and uh it's nothing compared to what yours was but like i was doing like 90 in a van pulling a trailer which is fucking stupid but like it was up to this down
1: that's that's part of the problem we were (laughs) we were towing tim's volkswagen van full of our gear with an rv Uh. so it was like way too much stress on the engine (laughs) (laughs) and we didn't ask anybody if you could do this or like hey it's got a trailer hitch and we can buy this other thing to put on the front of the van and and make it down the road but it was just like way too much stress but Uh,
0: god yeah that's that is insane and then to, to watch it all go up like our like there was nothing that was like everything survived like the van was fine it was like the undercarriage was kind of we we had jumped out it it was nighttime like the flames were shooting out the sides and we all jumped out like really fast and we were able to put it out but like at the time <laughs> at the time like um because it i'd actually blown the transmission earlier in the day and there was a big hole uh i guess in it and it was spraying um spraying transmission fluid all over the exhaust and that's what caught the start of the fire and um that'll do it yeah (laughs) and so like my buddy's driving later that night he sees flames he goes everybody get the fuck out of the van and we pull over as fast as we can we jump out i'm yeah wearing shorts like no shoes no shirt no nothing i jump out i land on like this little thorn bush area of course right where you know where i land my feet Land on Thornbus. I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'm like, I, I go to jump over the guardrail to get away from the van. I rip the top of my foot open on the guardrail, spray, oh. sprays blood all over Scott's shorts. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, freaking out, you know, I hold my foot. And JR is trying to get the, the. we didn't know how to work the fire extinguisher. Nobody did. He's just trying to get to work. And I look over at him. I'm still like thinking I can help the situation. I'm like, is there anything I could do? You know, holding my foot, standing on one foot. And he the, he gets at work and he pops the top, it sprays this fire extinguisher shit right in my face at like 100 miles an hour. So I get this powdery, dusty shit. I'm like, like covering my eyes. <laughs> like, oh my God, dude, he gets the fire out. I'm over there like flailing on the ground, like my eyes are burning, and my foot's cut open. <laughs> it was it was, the, it was the worst like 90 seconds ever, you know, it was so fast) I know. <laughs>
1: reduced to just like a scared animal for a <laughs> yeah.
0: minute. But yeah. I would hate to see what humans would do at, in the apocalypse. You know what I mean? We would just instantly break down. <laughs> yeah, like, It was awful. Um, I mean, your story is way worse than mine, but like yeah, it's, you know, it's, it is dangerous out there. People don't realize like what bands have to go through to kind of make this happen. We're doing this every day like
1: while they're at work. You know, we're doing this thing and um Well, and also you think about like how easy it is now with smartphones. Like we had one road atlas for the entire country. And so we were like, you know, I remember Tim was always my navigator and I would drive and I would be like, which way, which way, which way, which way? (laughs) It was his responsibility to tell me which way to turn. Um, And the funny thing is when that fire happened, we were going the wrong direction. We were heading away from the next gig. Uh, We figured that out later. Like, I mean, we probably would have figured it out after a few more miles. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why does this say Albuquerque when it should say, you know, Nashville or whatever?
0: John Denver's full
1: of shit, man. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, that's that's. uh, Yeah, just to add on to the to the already stressful situation, I'm sure. Oh my god. Yeah, we did the. We had an we we were on tour about a year before iPhones, which is really weird to think about. Um, and we had an atlas, and we used to print MapQuest. We'd you know put it in a folder all neatly, and you know. But if you try to go anywhere else, like you know, you already had your route, you know, for the tour via MapQuest. So we had nothing but the way to learn how to read an atlas. But yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Those early days, that was they were wild, man. Somehow we survived. All right, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey everybody, quick promo right here. Shameless, shameless as ever. The new Valley Who song, Fighter, is out now. Uh, it includes Dark Sunglasses, California King, and Renegade, the previous singles from the last year. We wanted to put them all together so you had them in one place. We're super excited to have this out. We, it's completely DIY, we did it all ourselves. Uh, from recording to production to mixing to mastering and release. We did it all ourselves, and we're very proud of it. If you haven't checked it out yet, please go stream it wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music, and everywhere else. It's Fighter by my band, Valley Who. Uh, we love you, and we hope to see you at the shows. Thank you so much. And we're back. This is episode 100 of Tales from the Green Room, featuring my conversation with Nick Hexum of 311. So... After the after the fire, like um, where, how did you guys get new gear? And like, what? How soon did you get back on the road?
1: We um, we only canceled that night's show because the very wow. next night we were um, I think we were supposed to play in Kansas City that night, um, and so we canceled that night's show. And then the next day it was Omaha, and um, we we rocked the hell out of that show in Omaha on borrowed gear. Oh, man. My friend Kurt Grubb um, lent me a guitar and an amp, and actually, I didn't play much guitar at that point. But we we played on borrowed gear, and we were just so lucky and happy to be alive. We just was the best fucking show you would ever crazy. played at that point, right? Yeah, just <laughs> totally. And I had a freshly shaved head because, like I said, my hair completely burnt from the fire, so I shaved it totally bald and just totally. had this was like this maniacal. Shaved head dude, and um, and then we had a, a few more shows on the way home, including like uh, the Boulder uh, Fox Theater in Boulder, and then uh, and we made it back to L. We rented a car and borrowed some gear. Um, but most we would call the club and say, you know, we don't have gear. Can 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 we borrow some drums and everything? Uh, I don't remember exactly if Tim had a guitar. Maybe. maybe put on his dad's credit card or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but I do remember that we got pulled over um, right after the fire. Like, well, there's two crazy things that happened after the fire. First of all, we we got a ride to the, to the airport and rented a car and drove to Omaha and drove straight into a tornado. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> the same night after the fire, we drove into a tornado, and you know how right before a tornado everything gets like really weird, like the barometric pressure yeah. and everything just looks super scary. Yeah, we're like, totally. no way! We just survived a fire, and now there's a tornado happening around us as we were like approaching Omaha. So we didn't we didn't get sucked up in the twister or anything, but it was. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, um, outside of Denver, we got pulled over um and that was the story that I told in the song off the barash about standing there and we were we had just we were smoking hash um as and this cop pulls up behind us right as like the car is full of hash smoke and um and I was like roll down the windows <laughs> it's <laughs> like, so scary <laughs> and then I and then so I'm just he's trailing us for like 10 minutes like right behind us and then I'm like just be cool, be cool, be cool. And then he finally pulls us over. And I was like, but I was like, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break. I'm not like, we've, we've survived a lot. I'm not just going to like fall apart, even though I was like freshly baked. (laughs) Um, and this was like 1993. So it was still very, you know, you know, prohibition weed era kind of stuff. And, um, I was like, so what did you pull us over for? And just kind of, you know, standing up to him instead of like acting guilty. And we stood there for a long time. He's like, well, um, you were driving slow, which is suspicious, which is like you might have been drinking. And I was like, no, I I don't think I was. And I just kind of very calmly pushed back on everything that he was saying. And He he kept saying like, do you mind if I take a a look through your car? And I was like, I don't, I don't, that. I don't think that's fair. I don't really think you had a reason to pull us over. And, um, he he said, your tags look suspicious. I'm like, this is a rental car. This is from Hertz. This is, you know, everything's in order. Here's, here's my license. Here's my papers. And he kept like pushing, you know, that's how they do it. Can we, uh, can we look through your car? And I was like, no, I'd really rather you did. not I just kept saying, I really rather you did. not And, uh, he was like, Well, then we're going to get the drug dogs. And I was like, You do what you got to do. And then he finally just was like, Just go. Have a nice day. And- wow. Oh, man. <laughs> and everyone was like, Nick, you're the man. You stayed cool. Because we, we had incriminating stuff on us. Uh, but yeah. um,
0: we piss our pants every I- time. <laughs> 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 like, I wouldn't have been able to do Dude. it. It's, he's always, you know, just come, yeah, come, come right in. Come right in. Come check it out. Sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> So, no, we, those we, so three very scary things a fire, a tornado, and a near bust all in a row. Um, but and we made it home. And and then I, I haven't thought about these stories in a long time. The next crazy thing that happened is we got home and we were, um, we called the record label and was like, look, we had this fire. Um, you know, according to our record contract, you guys are going to need to give us an advance on our, because we had two albums guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to need to give us an, an advance um, in in 2 months and then so can we can we get that early so we can buy some new instruments and do these gigs we have coming up and you know get a new vehicle cuz ours just burned up and our equipment and everything. And he was like, Only if you sign away all of your publishing. Whoa. And I was like, yo, that is so uncool. No way. For you to leverage this personal disaster, a, our own tragedy, for you to make a bigger cut of our and I was like, Wow. Fuck no. And I will get you for this. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I we ended up finding this uh this kid from Omaha, his dad was nice enough to lend us 20 grand to buy a, an RV and some guitars and, and, and get back out on the road. And, um, you know, and then we basically said, we're going to get even with, with that record label one day. And so then there, be, there came a time about five or six years later where Capricorn Records was, and um, they didn't have a distributor and I was like, you guys, well, there's a ch- there, we have an opportunity right now, and they've been screwing us over. It, we can, we, we got to sue them for breach of contract right now because nobody is going to sign a distribution deal with them when their star band is in the middle of a lawsuit. And basically it totally worked because we were able to totally renegotiate our, our record contract. Um, and I wouldn't normally have done that, but they had just behaved so unethically – Right. With, you know, leveraging the fire against us. Um, And so then we basically then when Jive Records wanted to buy Capricorn Records and we said, well, we're only going to drop our lawsuit if we renegotiate our deal and make it. I mean, record deals were such a screw. And back in that day, Mm -hmm. um, so we were able to turn it into something more fair. And we said, and we're only dropping this lawsuit if that guy over there the one who tried to leverage our tragedy is no longer involved and so he we, we basically put him in retirement wow for that yeah dude good for you man that's that's fucking horseshit it's yeah that's it insane was, it was so uncool we were just like oh, so uncool you got to give us the money anyway in a couple months according to the contract we just want to be able to go do our gigs but, yeah you know, he, he he tried to leverage a tragedy so
0: man what an awful person to do that that's terrible oh my god so yeah when when, uh trying to keep it here in like the uh, in the timeline here um so then you did um you know grassroots and then the blue album and uh, was there like a obviously an exciting time you know uh, not the tragedy but um an exciting time like you guys were like, I, I heard a story, I think Scotch told me, uh, your, your wonderful sound engineer, um, we did a record with him, and he was telling me some cool stories. <clears throat> and he said, you were really gunning for Down to be the, the single. Um, and other people were like, well, we're not sure, we're not sure, but you just had it in your head. You're like, this is the song. It, it, how, how true is that?
1: Because it obviously yeah, was. Uh, <laughs> well, but the thing it was, it was our third single, but I kept saying like, that's the one, that's the one, but the, the label, um, they wanted to start with don't stay home because mm-hmm. it was more melodic. And then we did it all mixed up second, but I was like, I'm telling you guys, we got to get, we got to do down, got to do down. Um, and then, and then, yeah, down was the breakthrough song that got into MTV buzz clip, which was like a really big deal of like, I remember those next big thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and then that it when I mean, we were already like it's even though it was only 2 or 3 years between getting signed and it was like 2 years like 93 and 94 we, we were building up through kind of grassroots means but then it was just this like simmering bubbling up thing from our fan base all through grassroots means and that's why we named the album Maze because we weren't getting any help on our second album. We got no help from the radio at all. And, um, so we're like, that's okay. We don't need them. We're going to be grassroots. We're just going to, we're just going to tour, tour, tour. And we put our equipment in storage. So we didn't even have like a home. We just, we lived on the bus. Like we graduated, at least we were able to afford like a really crappy old Nashville Eagle bus but to us it was, it was heaven because we, you know, had an actual bus driver instead of me driving the RV. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then when we got that buzz clip on down and then we played on David Letterman and it was a really exciting time where the shows all of a sudden just exploded size wise. I mean, they'd been building, we were happy. We were just like, this is totally, this is plenty. Um, and then they really exploded, and then there was a then there was a lot of people who were like, "You guys sold out." You guys sold, <laughs> and I was like, "But we're still doing the same thing we were doing. Like, just because more people like what we're doing, that makes us sell out." And but it was this really crazy thing that people said we were we sold out by, I don't know what, but it was just because more people liked us. So you know, we just we just ignored that because we knew we were we were doing what we loved and making music from the heart. And and that's, that's really all you can do is have that authenticity and follow the muse where it leads you. And that's what we've always been doing. Um, But then, and then after the blue album, what that had all those singles, um, then we were like, all right, let's make something pretty weird and artsy. And we were getting really into like trip hop, um, you know, massive attack and this kind of like fusion of, reggae and electronic kind of dubby kind of music and that's when we made the transistor album and then a I love lot of those so much thank you a lot of those new um, kind of part-time mainstream fans was like 311 sucks now they used to be hard they used to be cool and now it's this like and and transistor was poorly received at first um, but then it all kind of it kind of it got, it got rid of the Fairweather fans and then got, and, and we started really, truly building our core that, that has lasted through today. And it's been pretty consistent through that until then. I mean, even our biggest songs like Amber um, didn't really, it didn't, it just kind of made the shows a little bigger. It was kind of like a gateway to invite people into our music um, by hearing us on the radio and stuff, but we've always just been trying to keep it pure Make sure the music's from the heart, um, and we, it's it's been remarkably consistent. That's what we're we're proud of. Like there's other bands that blew up way bigger than us, but they didn't have that con- consistency. And for us, we're about enjoying the process of making music from from an idea, to jamming on it together, to recording it, to putting it out, and, and then playing it live until it be, really becomes a fabric of people's lives, we just we just enjoy that process. And um, so for us, it's about how long can we do that process rather than how many records can we sell at, you know, one short period of time. Because there were other bands that burnt so much brighter than us, you know, your Lip Biscuits or whatever, that were like just everywhere for, mm-hmm. for a while. But... Mm-hmm. For us, we're much more happy to have just been the consistency, and that's really just uh, um, all thanks to our awesome fan base that um, is, is ready to really listen to what's what we're doing, rather than being fickle and just being on to the next thing. You know what I mean? So we always want to express our gratitude and let people know how you know, stoked we are that we've been able to do this for so long and 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 having a 30-year anniversary sort of really makes you think about all those all those issues yeah
0: the, I, I can tell you as a as a fan and myself like you've definitely like the music is you've helped a lot of people you've touched a lot of people and you know i'm, I'm definitely one of them and um it it certainly shows in the there's a type there's like a type of person there's like a common denominator um with everybody that i meet from your fan base because it, it's it's like the, it's just love and everyone's just like appreciative and and you know you push this positivity and uh it aligns with so many people um you see it on the cruises and and you know not long after what what's so like in 2000 you started 311 day right so like yeah it's like here we are 20 years later twenty twenty years of three eleven day um you do them every couple of years and uh you're able to pack out these places in these cool cities and put on the special event which is like to me it's like a uh you know it's like a it's a fan service thing it's like this is how much we love you thank you so much we're gonna give you everything we've got for the next you know five or six hours whatever it is or or now it's like i mean these things are like multi day events that you guys are having but um I, it, it just it just shows that you guys are you're willing to commit and you guys will go back through. You have a huge catalog. You have so many records and what do you? How many records are You like twelve or something? Thir- Thirteen. Thirteen. Jesus. Um, so you guys have a huge catalog and you guys go back and dig into all that stuff. I, I like I get scared when fam- I'm like, what do you want to hear? And they're like something from like our first or second record i'm like i don't fucking remember how to play that you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry and i'm like i really apologize but like you guys will really dig in and commit and just like relearn all that old stuff and uh put on this huge show i don't know you you guys are that band you know for a lot of people and uh, it's, it's really cool to see that and when we got introduced to <clears throat> to your fan fan base in 2008 uh we did two shows with you guys in um it was Rolla, Missouri, and it was uh, uh, what's the other? Oh, Columbus, Ohio. It was over uh, St. Patty's Day weekend in 2008. First shows we played with you guys, and I was like, we were all nervous as fuck. I was nervous; I, like it was crazy. We didn't even get sound check. It was a weird kind of night, like the, the way it was all kind of thrown together by the promoter. And like story, of the story of the year played that night too, which was kind of weird. Um,
1: oh, I vaguely remember that. I... Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Didn't
1: they do flips on stage?
0: I I, th- I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. they, it, it was like, wh- I remember, I, I just remember us being um, in in a you know this has happened obviously for a lot of opening bands, but um shit, all my shit's falling apart. Um, uh, we were in a in a front line. It was the whole band was in a line. Story of the year stuff was right behind us because they brought a drum riser as well, and then you guys had your whole setup and stuff. Um, and we didn't get a sound check. We didn't, we didn't even get a line check. And it was like, all I wanted to do was put on an amazing show for one of my favorite bands fans. Like, I didn't want to look like a chump, you know, we worked this hard to get here (laughs) and now we're going to, you know, and, and someone said at the end, like, it sounded all right on like the last song,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know, just that together before the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, just (laughs) those opening band woes, you know, we've all had it. Um, and uh but that night, um Chad invited us on the bus because uh, he had done he would mixed a song for us for our, our uh, the record we did with um with scotch, and uh he invited us on the bus and uh, we hung out with you guys for a couple hours and just like just bullshitted and it was it was fun, man it was it was awesome. You guys were super nice, and that was like my first like I thought it was probably like my first taste of like being on a tour bus and hanging out with like a band that I love and um the, i I just remember from that weekend on. In 2008, we just got all this love from from your fans. And it, ever since then, it's been, uh, you know, it, it's just this big community. Like our fans, there's a ton of 311 fans in it. And I'm just like super grateful that you guys invited us along for that so long ago, you know? That's
1: awesome. Yeah, I th- we have a special mentality in our fan base. And, and I obviously... The, the attitude of of just positivity um, connects with your fan base too, you know what I mean? It's like sort of like like-minded people, so it's that's nice when you know we've seen other bands come up and walk parallel paths and share some stages, do the cruise, all that kind of stuff is. It's really cool. Let's just make some more milestones to look back on. I did want to
0: ask you, like, what are, you, um, what are your thoughts on <clears throat> being an artist in 2020? Like, because I have found that I had to, you know, we came from the 90s as well, when the business model was completely different. Uh, the way people got their music and, you know, it was just, it was all sort of like one thing or two things. It was MTV and it was the radio. And, you know, there was no streaming, no Spotify, nothing like that. And we, we have such an on-demand culture now. And I feel like we had to unlearn everything that we had learned up to, I don't know, maybe the mid-2000s and sort of re- rewire how we thought and uh, sort of re-assess like, our approach to, to be able to stand out because you know i feel like the the playing field has been leveled with the streaming stuff and at first i was kind of bummed out because you know obviously the the pay is different and things but then i started thinking like well we didn't really make any money before you know this and i had my stuff on cd baby you know so like it wasn't like we were making a ton of money before but like i then came to realize that you know this is just you need to embrace the future and uh if you fight it, like, you know, bands like Tool and I think Metallica and even like the Beatles and maybe Zeppelin, they all like held off of Spotify and stuff like for as long as they could, I think. And then if, I guess maybe they realized or someone in their camp was like, look, we should really do this. It's like the way of the world now. Where do you see, like, have you guys over the over the last like, I don't know, five or five years or so, like really sort of reassessed how you how you do this, how you approach it? I know you have your own label, right? It's the 311 Records. Everything's yours.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, we did make a, a record deal for these last two albums with BMG because we just kind of felt that, um, you know, having farming out their promotion and to them is makes our life a little bit easier because sure. you're always going to have a label. It just basically puts a lot more work when you do your own label on the managers. Yeah. So we, we wanted to, um, you know, spread that out a little bit, but, yeah, you do have to be nimble and not deny reality of the way things are changing. And I think that's something that we're talking about now. Like, hey, maybe the every two year album cycle is not really the way anymore. So we're, you know, just kind of experimenting with some different things. Like, our fans love to have something physical to hold and buy CDs more than other bands. But then, um, you know that it, it takes a long time to print a CD. You know you need all that lead time. So um, we have done some certain things that are just embracing streaming more, like putting out a um, the instrumentals from the last album on streaming only. So kind of encouraging our fans to to get with that. Um, I'm like I've loved Spotify for uh, since it since it started, and like saw like okay, this is like Netflix for music. Mm-hmm. This is a big hope for the future, but then there's you know younger people that take it even further, which is like Soundcloud, don't even worry about making any kind of royalties, just content content, put it out, put it out, and having people come on them come on tour with them or constantly posting videos and like um you know, I don't know if we'll ever be that comfortable with that kind of much of just spewing content all the time, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta, be open to the ways of the world, and not deny the reality of how of how things are moving forward. And um, to me, I, I enjoy the convenience of digital music. You know, I like, mm-hmm. I have vinyl, but I end up listening to Apple Music and Spotify all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's better than having like a, a like two hundred CDs just spread out in your back seat
1: i know I all scratched it. up and then somebody steals them and yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> got broken jewel <laughs> cases everywhere and shit. <clears throat> those are the days um man so uh you guys got 311 day coming up what's going on with that uh peter tells me you, like you guys have got some really cool stuff planned um what what goes into into making a 311 day
1: well, it's the it's the one gig we have to rehearse for the most because it's where we dig really deep. And um it's what I always say it's kind of like when I run a marathon before the 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 work is in the preparation and then when you get to the actual day it's like a, it's a victory lap because if you're unless you're not prepared but we always make sure we're prepared um you know having both rehearsals everybody practices on their own first with you know we've already got a uh, a rough sketch of a set list together and then we practice at the hive at our studio together and then we have production rehearsals at the actual theater at a time so um but we've it's fun because we get to go crazy with the production and have it be like a real audiovisual experience and at a level that we couldn't normally like afford we get to be like a a super band for for the one weekend and so now that we're um expanding three eleven day into three nights for the first time, um, you know, there's a lot of possibilities and a lot of preparation. Um but it's it's a labor of love.
0: Yeah. Yeah the uh <clears throat> the production I saw like videos and pictures and stuff from the last one And that looked like insane, like just graphics everywhere. And like you, you converted the stage into like your old, your dad's old basement or something like that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. There's definitely
1: some surprises in store that I cannot reveal. Sure. Sure.
0: No, that's great, man. I'm, 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 I'm so glad. Um, and then, uh, I guess finally, uh, what else are you working on i know you've done some uh some solo stuff you had that solo record and then um did some stuff um uh george clanton was his name uh yeah anything else coming going on yeah or? that
1: was that was a uh, um we've got a few more songs um coming out and he's just like uh 311 is his favorite band and um he's friends with um evan our our band assistant he's great um who's SA's nephew too and um he when he came to a show, he, he let me know, hey, this 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 guy George Clanton is coming to the show. Here's a link of his music and I listened to it and I was like, This is really creative and cool and trippy and different. And so, um, I met him backstage and then I was like, Hey, let's let's put a song together just for fun. We'll just send some stuff back to back and forth, see what happens and um and then so it's turned into a handful of songs and I actually did a surprise performance with him at his show in L.A. And uh, it was really cool. It's a much younger fan base. The whole, I mean, Clanton is kind of it's considered like one of the founding people of this vaporwave sound, um, which I wasn't really familiar with until I met him. But um, to me, it's kind of a, it's like trip hop. It's like the Transistor era, dubby kind of production. Um, so it was just, it was a fun and easy thing. And, um, I think it's, you know, nice when band members have side projects, like, you know, sa has been doing some shows recently with, um, his, with both, uh, Stellarians and Ghost Wolf, I think, um, I think it's, it's good because then it, it makes it, it, it would be a little more pressure on the band if there was only one outlet because, we might not all agree. So it's nice to have other outlets where um, people can stretch out and do some kind of weird creative stuff. So, um,
0: it's good to be able to scratch um, that itch for sure. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm like very thankful for it to have you on the, on the show. And, um, you definitely made this episode super special. Like I was hoping. And, uh, thank you for all the years of, rad music and sticking your guns and um, thank you for the amazing stories man that's like that was, re- that was really fun to get into
1: and uh, thank you Yeah, I, I was like do I have that many stories but then once I start talking they, they all kind of just poured out so it was a lot of fun and thank you for capping me for number 100 yeah man thank you thank you very much and
0: uh, big shout out to Peter for uh, making this happen and um, I'm looking forward to uh, the next record and uh, hopefully catching you guys uh sometime this year and um yeah man keep rocking and tell the guys i said hey and uh give the family my love and uh have have a wonderful night man
1: thank you right back at you we'll see you around got it man bye-bye all the best take care
0: and there you have it everybody that was nick hexam of 311 uh big thank you to him for coming on to the show and making episode 100 very special and also a big thank you to Peter Raspel for helping make this happen. I really appreciate it, man. Um, go see 311. You'll, you're going to love it. You're going to have a great time. Um, yeah, man, what drive. You know, the dude had so much drive and the will to just get his hands dirty. And even in the face of an insane fire and a tornado and a, and a cop looking for weed, you know, that could have taken down their career. They knew that they had something special and they had to keep pursuing the dream. And I can respect that entirely, 200%. Um, If you're an artist, I hope you got a lot out of this episode because that was just, that's what we need to hear. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It gets dark, but when the good things start to happen, it just, it's so sweet, man, I'm telling you. So keep doing what you're doing. Stick to your guns. Don't let anybody tell you any different. And keep making the thing that you want to make. All right, catch Ballyhoo out on the road with Iration, Ayaterra, and the Reese Brothers this month. We've also got a new single called Fighter coming out very soon. Follow me and the band on the socials, get all the information up to date. Stay in the know. Uh, Everybody, go out there, do something for yourself, be positive, make it happen. We'll see you soon. This is Tales from the Green Room. I am Howie Spangler. Thank you for 100 episodes.